Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Megan. I am the executive director here, and I'm really excited. I only preach like once a year, so this is my big moment. <laughs> so bear with me. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Um, to those of you here with us or watching online, I just want to give a warm welcome. Uh, I actually met Vicki. Shout out to you watching online. I ran into her. She told me she watches every week. And so I just love meeting people in our community that, that love this church as much as I do. And so welcome to all of you. Uh, we are this church because of you guys sitting right here and on the other side of that screen. Um, and if you're visiting with us, I hope that you get a chance to get to know those around you because they are generous and they are kind. They encourage, they pray, they like to have fun, they ask questions and they wrestle, they seek and search for truth. Um, they volunteer because they care. They desire to see people belong even if they don't know Jesus. They walk alongside those that want to know Jesus. And they commit to making disciples or people that serve and want to be just like Jesus. And you guys can do that too if you're visiting or new or just want to come say hello more regularly. We're here. We're fun. That's who we are. We, we love this church. So we're on our last of our sermon series. Um, we've been discussing the term solas, which means alone. Um, and so these stances are the belief that separates Protestantism from Catholicism. And every week, Jason has shared that this series is not meant to bash our Catholic brothers and sisters because they are indeed our brothers and sisters in Christ because they too believe in the Apostles' Creed. So if you've not heard it, let me be very clear that this series is not meant to poke fun of or to somehow shame or put down Catholicism. And I actually get really upset when people think that we do that or think myself does it or just people in general do it. Um, because I have family that's Catholic. I have a lot of really great friends that are Catholic. I went to a Catholic college and my best friends are all Catholic. Uh, a few months ago, I actually went to my roommate from college's temporal vow ceremony because she's in the process of becoming a nun. And my best friend, who um, is Catholic, and I became best friends because we love debating theology, which is weird. But you know what? We both love Jesus <laughs> because of it. And, and so I'm just so thankful for my Catholic brother, brothers and sisters because they have actually taught me more about reverence and devotion and dedication and tradition, both with a lowercase t and an uppercase t, and there is a difference, and they would love to tell you about it, I'm sure. Uh, and I can't wait for the day that we're all sitting around in heaven rejoicing with my favorite brothers and sisters from any denomination, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Lutherans, and Jesus is going to sit down before us and tell us all how we got it wrong. So our Christian walk should be one of discovery and of questioning. We don't always have to believe the same things to get along. And the point of this series is to learn about what happened a really long time ago during the Reformation and the changes that came from those discussions that followed. It's no secret that we have different beliefs, and this series has simply pointed out what led to the differences and what we as Protestants and Lutherans believe. Christ, grace, Faith, scripture, and God's glory, and these alone, are the pillars of the early reformers' theology, and they remain the five pillars of ours. Christ alone, and no other God, idol, priest, pastor, significant other, is the mediator of our salvation. Grace alone, and no other human contribution saves us. Faith alone, and no other human action is the instrument by which we're saved. Scripture, or the Bible, and no other human word is the ultimate standard for truth and authority. 
God's glory alone and that of no other human or creature is the supreme end of all things. When discussing the difference between Protestants and Catholics, my friend and I settled on the difference actually being the solas. Of course, Catholics believe that scripture, faith, grace, and Christ are important. It's the alone part that led to our genuine disagreements. And if you're like me, maybe you've been wondering, how on earth can the sola mean alone if there's five of them? That makes no sense. Well, each sola is a separate idea. Each sola is taking humans out of the equation in that particular category. So they're saying Christ and no one else. Uh, scripture, no other words. Grace and nothing we could ever give. Faith and nothing we could ever do. And that leads me to today's topic in sola, glory alone. We do not deserve the glory. It all belongs to God alone. So when Jason first gave me this topic, I was stoked. I was like, God's glory? Really? <laughs> okay, like, is there anything more glorious to talk about? Like, what an honor. This sermon is going to be awesome. Uh, and then I started researching. And do you know how many times glory is used in the Bible? I stayed up all night to read it. Just kidding, I didn't. But I did turn to Google, and I found that there are over 538 to 606 different times that the word glory is used. It can be used as a noun or a verb. And some of the more common definitions in the Bible mean praise, honor, radiating, take great pride in, or distinction. And these are how it's worded, but there's 20 different variations. And so you could give a whole sermon series just on the different variations of how glory is used. So it makes this term so much more than just glory. The Hebrew word which is used for glory in the Old Testament has the simple meaning of heaviness or weight. It was used in everyday speech to express the worth of a person in the material sense. And then to express the ideas of importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power, and so on. And in the New Testament, they talk more about his majesty, his beauty and magnificence. The glory of God is intrinsic to his nature. It is both a quality he possesses and a depiction of who he is. So I thought this message was going to be simple. But the more I dug in, the more it seemed to be anything but. Glory is profound, and it literally felt weighty. So you know when someone says, like, oh, it's just weighing heavy on me, or I have this thing, it's just weighing heavy on my mind. You just can't shake a feeling or a thought. That's what this week has felt like, just researching and contemplating God's glory. I saw a funny TikTok the other day. It was a lady that got on, stepped onto a scale, and she looked down and she said, "Woo, Jesus, that armor of God sure is heavy. <laughs> and that's how I felt researching glory. Like, it was a heavy, but in a good way. Yes, it was pretty great. You can use that one. Um, so when I started digging into this thought, I was overwhelmed with just the magnitude and the word of our God. It can become so commonplace that it loses its meaning, or at least it really did for me. Um, I'd only scratched the surface of what I thought glory meant. So before we get into the meat of what it does mean, I'm going to play a little game because it's kind of cheesy. I actually brought some blocks of cheese. And I'm going to give out, and we're going to play a clip or um, show a picture, and the first person to get the question right gets a block of cheese. Yay. Okay, so if we have one, name this song. Yes, but not the one we're 
Tina, all right, come on. I would throw this, but I'm not that. Okay, did pretty good. All right, the next one is a picture. Tell me where you can buy this brand of clothing. Oh gosh, I need to be way better. Walmart is correct. All right, next, name this movie. You gotta be ready. Ray. Okay, next one is, what is another name for this symbol? Old Glory. I don't know. I think it was Craig. You better, ready? Oh, good job. That was good. I don't know my own strength. <laughs> That's good. Okay, and I'm not sure what picture we have for this, but tell me who it commemorates. Yeah. And? Yes. Laura, again, you're going to have to share this cheese. Uh, this makes me think of these, these guys that we're celebrating this week. They go down in glory. Have you ever heard that term? Like when someone dies and they die famous or whatever, they went down in glory. They will forever be perfect in society's eyes because of the, the awesomeness that they did here. And the last one, my favorite, name this tune. Yes, glory days. We'll talk more about that one later. Oh, 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 oh. All right, enjoy your cheese. I know it's the term glory is used a lot in our culture, but in a different way. So I found, though, what was the most fascinating to me is that anytime that you use it in the biblical sense, it always points back to God. You cannot get away from God ever in the Bible because he is glory, because he desires and radiates it. He is honored through glory, and his being is glorious. And if you read the Bible as a story, you'll find that God's glory is the main message. It could essentially say, in the beginning, God was glory. He created glory. He gave glory in the form of Jesus, and his glory shines through you and me. And one day we will see his perfect glory when we're reunited with him. It's a blend of all of his attributes into one perfect being. And there are many sermons that could be taught on the different ways of defining it and different ways that it relates to God. But what does glory alone mean? And how does it relate to the other solas that we've been talking about? Many scholars define sola deo gloria as the glue that holds all the other solas together. David Van Runen says, the fact that salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, without any meritous contribution on our part, ensures that all the glory is God's and not our own. Religion recaptured by the Reformation is not ultimately about us, but about God. We cannot make God more glorious or more perfect than he already is. He doesn't need us. He seeks glory for himself when he creates or redeems. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 says, For my own namesake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. You may be thinking, wow, 
Would a loving God talk like that? That kind of makes God sound selfish. But you can't be selfish when something already belongs to you. If Lee is holding my phone and I go and take it from him, is that being selfish? No, because it's my phone. (laughs) It's not selfish when it belongs to me. The same is true for God. God created us so we could display his glory in the way that we live and therefore bring praise to him because God deserves the praise we don't. My personality is such that when I feel like I've lost control, I get angry. So if you ever see me angry and losing my cool, it's usually because something really small and dumb has gone totally awry in the plan that I thought I was in control of. And when I lose control, I get angry. I get sinful. I hate. I slander. I accuse. I lash out. I judge. I lie. I ruin things. I hurt others. I sin. And why does this happen? Because the control was never mine in the first place. I got selfish thinking it was mine or mine to use for myself, but it wasn't and it never is. I take control from God. It's not selfish for God to take control because the control always belonged to him. So if I'm living my life and all of a sudden something comes up that I think I need to control instead of losing my stuff, I should set my mind on God and let him have it. Because when I do this, I keep my cool because I can rely on him to take care of whatever it was that I thought I needed control, but he also takes care of me in the process. He loves me even if I've messed things up or if I have gotten in the way of something he was wanting to do in someone else. So would you guys stand with me as we read today's verse? We actually got this whole standing thing from the Catholics who understand and implement throughout their worship services the many different postures, right? So raising hands, kneeling, laying down, uh, they all trigger stuff in our brain. And so standing just helps us remember and honor these words of God. So even though we read a lot of scripture throughout, this is the one that we like really want you to get. So Matthew 5, 16 says all together, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So Jesus is saying that you guys can sit. He's saying that we should live in a way that people will look at our lives and want to give all of the glory or credit to God, not to ourselves. So when I'm able to give God control, I give back to him what always belonged to him, and he gets the credit or the glory. We were created for glory, and we were created to do good deeds, because it is by our good deeds that God gets glory. So how do we serve or do good so that God gets glory? Well... The answer is this. I'm sure you're all dying to know. For God to get the glory, we have to do good deeds only depending on God's strength. And not just any good deed, but one that's done that comes from a spirit of joyful dependence on God's help. This is what glorifies God. So I need to take a minute. I don't know if you heard me earlier. The mic was on. I was like, Don, I hope you're paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I need to take a minute and thank Don. He is our groundskeeper. And he's here part-time. He does a tremendous job keeping both buildings spick and span. Everything always looks great. And he never complains, and he never goes on vacation. He's great. Except for that one time this last year that he did go on vacation. And it happened to be Christmas by the Lake weekend. And we had over 4,000 people come through this building. And I think all of them decided they needed to use the restrooms. 
And because we had awesome volunteers throughout the day, they were in and out of the bathrooms, restocking, wiping things down, making sure, you know, everything was decent. But I don't think any of them looked at the toilets. So at the end of the day, people had mostly gone, except for, I don't know, maybe 10 of us kind of resetting some things. And I took it upon myself to clean the bathrooms because I figured no one else was going to want to do this. So I'm cleaning the sinks, you know, no big deal. Wiping down the doors, like disinfecting everything, no big deal. Cleaning the mirrors, that's fun, no big deal. And then I get to the toilets, and whoa, did my attitude change. <laughs> I was disgusted and horrified at the sight before me. And I just want to point out that the women's restroom, totally fine. But you men, <laughs> ew. <laughs> I was so grossed out that I ran out of the bathroom. I was tired from serving all day. I wanted to be home with my family. And I first started out, like, think, as I'm cleaning, like, thinking how awesome I was, right? Like, Donna's going to appreciate me so much. <laughs> no one else has ever do something like this. The staff has no clue about all of the things that I do around here. Clear Lake could be so thankful for Zion. We are so nice to let our, let our community use our building. And I'm probably not the only one that has ever had thoughts like those. And then I went into this rabbit trail of feeling sorry for myself. Like, oh, man, while I'm in here scrubbing these nasty toilets, everyone else is out watching the parade and the fireworks. I'm just here scrubbing waste. But let me be very clear. Jennifer specifically put in the time of cleanup for people to leave and go watch the parade and fireworks. I chose not to and then chose to have a bad attitude about it and feel sorry for myself. So as I'm sitting there having a bad attitude, I quit. I didn't finish the job that night. I actually had to come back in the morning to do it. I did not have a joyful spirit dependent on God's help. Therefore, I may have done a good deed, an okay deed. Anyone can do a good deed, but it did not glorify God. Instead, I could have taken a deep breath away from the toilets and asked God to help me help the church by cleaning the toilets. Because in talking to God, it's amazing how our attitude can actually shift. It's amazing how a horrible task could actually become a joy. And it's amazing that God can be glorified through an act like cleaning toilets. Glorifying God doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning when we're here to worship. Glorifying God is an everyday way to live life. And far too often we glorify things that do not deserve our utmost praise. It's really not hard to think of examples. We need to stop glorifying Zion, stop glorifying certain theological standings, the Clear Lake Lions, our workouts, our careers, our children, our politics, our knowledge, our work ethics. It all needs to stop. So if you're glorifying any of the things that I just listed, by your good deeds so that you get or that thing gets the glory, stop. It doesn't belong there, but to God and to God alone. So perhaps the next question you may be thinking about or wrestling with is, I've heard it said that faith without works is dead. So how can I be saved if I don't work for it? If I don't good do, do good deeds that glorify God, do I even have a faith? And the evidence of our faith and God's glory is by our actions. They do not save us, but it is the evidence. So works don't provide faith, but faith does provide works. If you claim to have faith in God, the way you live and the things that you do will reflect that. And those things done with God's help are what bring him the glory. So my challenge to you is to read the book of James. And if there's any third graders out there that just got your Bibles, read the book of James. 
It's actually going to be our Lenten devotion this year, which Lent is right around the corner. So we're going to be diving deeper into this book, and it's all about living your life in such a way that people can tell you do actually love Jesus. And as we've been celebrating the lives of the Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, Richie Valens, I'm frequently reminded of the term, like Bruce Springsteen's put so well, glory days. You may think back to high school and think of like, oh, those were the glory days. Or maybe raising your young children, those are the glory days. Retirement, glory days. And this is why it's cheesy, but each day should be a glory day when lived for God, for Jesus. Because each day we can do good deeds with God's help that give us joy and glorify the Father. It also seems worth mentioning, though, that God doesn't actually need us to glorify him. He glorifies himself through the salvation of his people by displaying his ultimate and absolute power. Or another way to say this is that the work or the good deed of God is what saves us alone. So why do we give God the glory if he doesn't need us to, but like he wants us to, but like he can glorify himself? Like what's the point? Why, why are we here? Well, he created us with the desire to glorify something. But his desire is that we would choose to glorify him because it's ultimately in our best interest. If God is the most important thing in our life, we will be safe. And here's what I mean by safe. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Timothy Keller gives this example. Say you love someone and you get a lot of joy out of that relationship. Now say that person breaks up with you and you no longer want to live. It means you have given that person too much glory or too much weight in your life. You may have said in your heart, if that person loves me, then I know I'm somebody. But if that person takes the relationship away, you collapse and melt down because you have ascribed more glory and honor to him or to her than to God. If anything matters more to you than God, you are placing yourself and your heart into something external. Only if you make God matter the most, which means only if you glorify him and give him the glory, will you have a safe life. God doesn't need to give us glory. He wants us to because it's for our own good. When we put our glory into anything but God, we get hurt. We get sad. We get let down. But when it's put into God, he never lets us down. When we can't see how glorious he is because there's a deficiency in us that needs to be corrected, God is always wanting us to be more and more like him. Jesus is our example, our perfect example of how to live. And I know it's easier said than done. I know humans are not perfect. But our lives improve the more we align with God and his desires for us. This may require humility or slowing down or confession or it may even require you to stop thinking poorly about yourself. We will have to lay our own selfish desires aside. We must adjust our attitude and our heart posture in our day-to-day -day tasks. We must remove ourselves as the most important or only. And that's the point of the five solas, to remove ourselves. The solas guard and clarify the gospel message alone secures that God-centered character of the gospel in the Christian life. Martin Luther's desire was never to leave the Catholic Church he, and start a new denomination. He was wanting to see God's people giving God the full credit that he deserves. 
Scripture alone tells us who God is and who we place our faith alone in. And in doing so, we recognize that we have been saved by grace alone, through Jesus alone, so that God gets the glory alone. God wants us to grow, to increase, to become to the point that we actually perceive him and his weight accurately. And accurately perceiving it, we glorify him as the greatest value in life. Our admiration for God should weigh so heavily on us that people can look at your lives and just tell by the way that you portray yourself that you give the glory not to you or to me or to any other human or creature, but to God and to God alone. Glory be to God. I'm going to invite the band back up. And I want to ask, does God hold the greatest value in your life? Is he greater than your husband or your wife? Is he greater than your children, your possessions? Your, for me, this is a big one, your downtime. What areas of your life have you given more weight to than God? And what can you personally do to give it back? Jason has done a version of an altar call every week throughout this series. And as a result, we've seen many people actually declare Jesus as their Lord. And if you're not there yet, you're just kind of here checking things out, or you're not really sure about this whole Christian thing, I'm just so glad that you're here. And if something in you stirred today, or you have questions, you want to learn more, you can just reach out anyone wearing a staff badge, a volunteer badge, anyone over at our prayer area. Just tell someone, ask someone. We would love the chance to talk with you, maybe to pray with you, and to invite you to keep growing with us. The week after Easter, we're going to be celebrating some baptisms. We're going to fill our big tank, put it right in front here, and we want to celebrate with you. If you have never been baptized or you want to reaffirm your baptism, we encourage you to sign up on our website or come see me after church, because this is your chance for a public declaration of faith, to give God the glory for the work that he has done and will continue to do in your life. If you want to see God on the throne of your life, if you want to give him the glory, knowing that it ultimately benefits you, then will you bow your heads and pray this prayer with me? Father, thank you for being glorious. Help me to see your glory in everything. Help me to give you the glory in all that I do. Shape me and change me until you hold the greatest value in my life. May I throw away my own glory so that all the glory goes to you. It's in Jesus' name.